And so with that in mind, let's stand together for the reading of God's Word from Matthew chapter 28. Now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. And behold, there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came back and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, do not be afraid. For I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, as he said. Come, see the place where he lay. Then go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, I have told you. So they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy and ran to tell his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and said, Greetings. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. And then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. While they were going, behold, some of the guard went into the city and told the chief priests all that had taken place. And when they had assembled with the elders and taken counsel, they gave a sufficient sum of money to the soldiers and said, Tell people, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we were asleep. And if this comes to the governor's ear, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So they took the money and did as they were directed. And this story has been spread among the Jews to this day. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came And said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May be seated. Father, as we settle into this text, we ask that you would illuminate, Holy Spirit, the words that are very familiar, and that you would remove everything that is pressing against us now from outside or from within that's seeking to to distract us, to keep us in a place of doubt or a place of bitterness or frustration or denial about the reality of the need we have for you. And just, we ask, Lord, for this time that you would calm us down and let us be still and know that you're God and to see anew the glory of what has happened, this historical event of Jesus Christ being raised from the dead. Lord, transform us that we might be unable to stop speaking about what we have seen and heard from these very words. That you would do a work in our hearts and our minds that would press so deeply into us that it must escape. And it would escape through our hands and feet as we proclaim Jesus 
is the way, the truth, and the life. We pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. The song that you just heard the choir sing, I Know That My Redeemer Lives, is a very moving piece. And it's a piece that was written in a time of tragedy um, at the death of a very young child in in a very tragic accident. And the words put to paper, put to music, are so full of hope because Jesus is alive. He is living now. He's reigning as our king. And until we go to be with him or he returns and we see him, that's the reality of our life. We're going to be full of moments of grief, of heaviness, of confusion, of doubt. And the women that are first introduced in the first few verses of Matthew 28 are in that place. I want you to go there with me in verse 1, Matthew 28, 1 says, now after the Sabbath toward the dawn of the first day, so it's very, very early in the morning. Imagine it's still quite dark. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb. As you go back over this text later today, perhaps, underline how many times you see the word see. So Mary and Mary are on their way to see Jesus. The condition of their hearts and their mind and their body, I believe, is so heavy, so sad. The deepest grief known to man would have been the grief that Jesus Christ had in the garden before he went to the cross. But the grief that these women are experiencing and the grief that the disciples are experiencing is is profound and incredible because their best friend... And not just a friend, but the best man, the only perfect man, Jesus, has just been brutally murdered. He has been nailed to a cross. He said it is finished. He breathed his last, and he died. Though Jesus told them this was coming, and though he told them that he would rise, they didn't understand. They could only capture glimpses of what he meant. And so the women moving towards Jesus are carrying spices and oils to anoint his body. But they're grieving deeply. The other gospel narratives describe the disciples who aren't yet in the picture as just being so heavy-hearted. Their leader, their friend, the perfect man that they witnessed speaking truth healing people, walking on water, calming seas, causing or calling Lazarus to, to rise from the dead. Their perfect friend is now dead and he has been placed in the tomb. And so with very heavy hearts, these women are moving to see Jesus. What are they expecting? If someone were to stop them on the way and ask, what did you expect to see when you got up this morning? They would not have told you that they expected to see their risen Lord. They expected to see Jesus' dead body wrapped the way it was wrapped, and there they would begin to tend to it. They did not expect to see Jesus alive. In fact, it's sad that none of the followers of Christ were living in this expectation that that he would rise, 
There was no one there at the tomb just waiting to see him come out. Sadly, the religious leaders who arrested him, took him through the mock trial, um, had him crucified, they were afraid that his body would leave the tomb. They didn't believe he would raise himself from the dead or be raised from the dead, but they did think it was possible that his body would be removed. And so in chapter 27, near the end of it, they go to Pilate and they ask for a guard, a group of soldiers who would be trained and skilled and would serve at their own life to protect the tomb, that nobody would take it away. They said, order the tomb to be made secure until the third day, lest his disciples go and steal him away and tell the people he is risen from the dead. This fraud would be worse than the first. They remembered that Jesus said that. They remembered that Jesus said in three days, I will rise. And so they asked Pilate to guard so the disciples won't steal the body. Interestingly and ironically, they later will spread the rumor that the disciples did steal the body. The very thing they were trying to protect from happening, they now say is what happened because they didn't want to accept that he is God. He has risen from the dead. So there's a lot happening in this amazing story. The women are moving towards the tomb, expecting to see a dead body. And instead, they see an angel. There was an earthquake. The angel had come and rolled back the stone and sat on it. Verse 3 says, His appearance was like lightning and his clothing white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards there trembled and became like dead men. The angel spoke to the women. So picture the scene. Mary and Mary, and there may have been others with them, probably were, they're moving towards the tomb, expecting to see this dead body of Jesus. And the angel says, do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus, who was crucified. First thing the angel does is identify why they're there. And he's right. They had come to see Jesus. But then the angel speaks three things to them that are really remarkable. First, he says this, verse 6. He is not here, for he is risen. But listen to what else he says. He is not here, for he is risen, as he said. That's really important. The women had forgotten. The disciples had forgotten. They weren't captured by the idea that, yes, he said he's going to rise, so let's anticipate. So the angel says, He's not here. He is risen as he said. The first thing the angel does is he points them to the word of God. Jesus is the word, and his spoken word is the word, and he said he would rise. He is not here. He has risen as he said. That's a really important three words for us because we so often forget the things that Jesus said. And if the people who were walking with him, living with him, standing side by side with him, witnessing all the things that he said and did while he was on the earth in the flesh, could forget what he said, we easily can forget. That's why we gather, my friends, every Sunday. That's why churches have Bible studies and small groups. So that people who profess faith in Christ and those who are seeking to understand the truth of Christ 
can hear his word over and over and over again. The book of Hebrews says, let us not give up meeting as some are in the habit of doing, but let us encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. Well, what are we supposed to encourage each other with? The word of God. The resurrection life that Matt so beautifully pointed us to before the confession. That resurrection life is a reality because of the word of God. Paul himself in Philippians 3 said, I want to know more of the resurrection life. That resurrection power. And so these women go expecting to see a dead body. And the angel says, he's not here. He is risen as he said. Next thing the angel says to them, verse 7 is, or verse 6, he says, he's not here, he's risen as he said. And then the angel says, come and see the place. God is a God that's continually inviting us to come and see. The angel says to the women, he's not here, he is risen, as he said, come, come and see. And it's a gentle invitation. And it's important that it's gentle because these ladies are terrified. They expect him to see a dead body. But now they see an angel and they see soldiers that are like dead. And they're expecting to see Jesus' body dead but not alive. And the angel said, he's not here, he is risen. As he said, come and see. Christianity is not a blind faith. It's a faith with evidence. And so the women look. And as they look, they see that it's true. Jesus is not there. The angel says, come and see. What an invitation for all of us. And then the angel gives them a third command. Verse 7, he says, go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him. See, the angel says, I have told you. So verse 8 says that the women departed quickly from the tomb. Because of what they've seen. Jesus isn't here. We expected to be taking care of his body. And the angel said he's risen. As he said he would. That's right. He said he would. And he has. We've got to go tell the disciples. So they go quickly. But they go with a combination of fear and great joy. I love the humanity of this story. It's all over the narrative. Whatever you're coming to this service with today, God understands. It could be doubt. It could be fear. It could be great joy. It's all here. And these women depart quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. And they run. Picture the scene. They're racing to tell the disciples. But somebody gets in their way. Somebody gets in their way. And who is it? It's Jesus. The one they came to prepare his body. Jesus Matthew says, speaks, and he says, greetings. Can you imagine? You probably haven't slept at all since he died. And if you did fall asleep, you fell asleep in the midst of heavy grief. And what woke you up, whether it was for 15 minutes or a few hours, was grief. The best human being you've ever known. The one who did things that no other human being could do is dead. That's your thought. And you walk to take care of his body. It's the honorable thing to do. 
and you see an angel and it scares you to death, and he says, he's not here, he is risen, as he said, come and see. And you go and you see. And now you have something to say. And what you have to say is to the disciples, come and see. But before you get there, the one you went to see is standing. And he says, greetings. They came up. Imagine them approaching Jesus. And what is told by Luke is really important. They took hold of his feet. Jesus Christ is not a ghost. We tend to spiritualize the resurrection and think that Jesus somehow turned into just a mystical figure moving about like a ghost. No, he is there. 100% man, 100% God. And these women grab hold of his feet. They feel his flesh. They feel the flesh of this man's body who not long before hung on a cross with nails through those feet, with nails through that wrist, with a pierced side from the spear, with a, a head that was pressed with the crown of thorns, with, with a body that had been beaten beyond recognition. And now he is in their presence. And he is resurrected. And this is important for us because all who are in Christ when we die, immediately our spirits go into the presence of King of the King Jesus, we see him. And then one day at glory, our bodies will also be resurrected. That's what the word of God says. And as the bodies are resurrected, they're perfected bodies. So Jesus is here before them in a resurrected body. The first flavor, the first taste of what's going to happen to all who are in Christ. And he has changed some. We know because the disciples frequently don't recognize him at first. So something has changed. But not so much that they don't soon realize it's Jesus. It's amazing. They grab hold of his feet and they worshiped him. What did they expect to see? Not this. Not him. Jesus then speaks, verse 10, he says to them, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee and there they will see me. See me. Every problem that we have usually comes down to an issue of sight, a sight problem. When I went to seminary, I went to see Jesus. No, I knew I wouldn't see him in the flesh. He wasn't listed as one of the professors. But I went feeling called to vocational ministry that I might see more of Jesus that I might understand more of his holy word from the beginning to the end, which is the story of redemption. Every book matters. Three months into seminary, I needed glasses. Reading as much as I was reading, I suddenly began to realize where I was sitting in the classroom, I can't see the board. Then I would drive, especially at night, and realize I can't see the signs. About three months in, I was having dinner with my brother-in-law. He had glasses. He set them down and went somewhere. I picked them up and put them on. And I was like, oh my goodness, I can see. I need glasses. And so I made an appointment with an eye doctor. He confirmed, yeah, your eyes are going bad. 
They're not terrible, but they're going bad. You need help. So he gave me glasses to see. I went to seminary to see. I ended up needing glasses. And I left seminary having seen so much. But I want to tell you the truth. The older we are, the worse our eyes get. Physically, it's true. I've seen some of you. Five years ago, you held your bulletin like this. Today, you're doing this. Some of you need to climb up on the pew to get even further. Our eyes fade. They go bad. We can't see. And so we get a prescription. And then the prescription gets stronger. The more we advance in faith, the more we grow, the stronger the prescription needs to get spiritually for us to be able to see. You'd think it would be the opposite, but it's not. Here's why. The longer you're walking with Jesus, the more you see that there's so much more to see. Leaving seminary, I didn't leave going, I've got it figured out. I left going, there's more mystery here than I could have ever imagined. And I'm going to spend the rest of my earthly life being fascinated by that. And then I'm going to die. And I'm going to go into the presence of Jesus. And I'm going to spend eternity overwhelmed by what I see. The longer we follow Jesus, the more powerful the lenses need to become. And we know it's true because there's so much more to see. But there's another reason. We realize as we advance in our faith that we cannot make ourselves see. We never could, but he can, and he does. Here he brings an angel to, Martha, or to Mary and Mary. The angel says, he is not here. He is risen as he said. See, I've told you. Come and see. See, I've told you. Now go and tell the disciples. They should have remembered too, but they didn't. And then Peter and John here that he's risen. And in John's gospel, this is really, really fascinating. Peter and John take off running. They run past the women. John's younger. He gets there first. Peter follows behind. In John's gospel, when he gets there, the word for John looking into the tomb, he doesn't go in, he looks from a distance, is blepo, and it means that he sees generally. But when Peter gets there, he blows right past John. He goes inside the tomb and he's standing right there where the cloths that covered Jesus are. And the cloths are amazing because it's not like Jesus unwrapped himself. He resurrected from inside those, from inside the tomb. His body is now resurrected. He's not there. The word for Peter's sight is theoreo. It's where we get the word theory or theorize. And what it means is that Peter is there inside the tomb seeking to understand and to figure this out. It's a deeper look. And then John enters. And there's a third word for sight. Harao. And it means to understand. To perceive. A lot of people today are filling sanctuaries like this for a lot of reasons. Some out of a deep sincerity to know more. Maybe they've had that blepo vision. I, I know something of the resurrection, but I want more of the theory. I want to see it deeper. Others have come because they've seen clearly in the past and they want to see more. Some perhaps have come only because what they want to see 
is a relative pleased, a mom to stop bugging them, just out of honor to the family. I'm glad you're here. I want you to know that. It's possible that your motives are different than God's and that God really wants you to see that he is who he says he is and challenge you to do an investigation of this historical account. Sight is what's critical. But here's the problem. Living in a broken world, and nobody, whether you're a Christian or not, would deny it's broken, we seek to find our happiness in many places. And our sight is, again, the problem. When I was in third grade, I had a crush. It might be my first crush, to be honest with you. And her name was Mrs. Schaffner. She was my third grade teacher. The best teacher ever. She loved me. She let me be Santa Claus in the Christmas play. She let me be an owl in the spring play. It wasn't as good a role. The owl had one line. Who? Who? Who are you? That was it. I still remember. Mrs. Schaffner put our class on a project to raise money for a computer. The computer was bigger than this pulpit, and it could only do math. I mean, basic math. It was hundreds, if not thousands of dollars, so we began to raise money by collecting aluminum. We would collect the aluminum and then go recycle it. Whoever raised the most money wins. As a class, we went out often after school, mainly to apartment complexes. And there we would go door to door in groups, asking people if we could have their aluminum. One day I realized that while everybody's in line sharing their aluminum, there are hundreds of people in this apartment community that have already thrown their trash in the garbage. So instead of being obedient and staying in line with the rest of my group, I left. I quietly moved through the parking lot and I went to a large 12-foot dumpster, commercial-sized dumpster. You know the kind I'm talking about. I opened the side door and it was stacked to my delight. I jumped in and I began to dig through the garbage. Look at all these cans, my cans. Look at all this foil, aluminum. And I began to just stack my bags full of this garbage. I loved it. It was beautiful. And then about 10 minutes in, when I'm on the other side of the dumpster from the door that I opened, the door slams shut. And it's dark inside. But at that point, I had become quite skilled at detecting aluminum. So I just continued to dig in the dark <laughs> until I heard a sound. And the sound was of a, of a garbage truck. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> there was a little light coming through the door. I quickly ran to it to open it, but there was no latch on the inside. The engineers in short-sighted vision didn't anticipate a third grader trying to impress a teacher he had a crush on, and so there was no way for me to get out. I felt the driver put the hands or the arms of the truck down and slide into the sleeves of the dumpster, and he hit it hard, and I flew against the back. He then lifted it up, and the top flap began to open, and it is open. I looked down inside the belly of this huge garbage truck. And for a moment, I had a Luke Skywalker encounter. Do <laughs> you remember on the Death Star when he ends up in the garbage compactor and it's pressing and there's that big snake thing? That's what I was envisioning was about to happen to me. I would have died. 
I would have died. I screamed, and you know what I screamed, Mrs. Schaffner, but nobody could hear me. And as it just began to tilt, and I'm at the very bottom of it, and garbage is already falling in, it suddenly slams back down, the lid closes, it's dark again, and then the door opens, and there is Jesus. Okay, just making sure you're with me. <laughs> I wasn't a Christian. I didn't know about Jesus. I wasn't praying to Jesus. I was praying, but not to him. And there was my third grade teacher. And Mrs. Schaffner lunges inside and grabs me. And I am nasty. And she just embraces me. I am shaking in fear. She is shaking in fear. And she just simply says, Mark. And I looked at her and said, don't tell my mom. <laughs> we have a sight problem. And the sight problem begins at a young age when we look to find our hope, our security, our identity in something other than Christ and his word. Every person that is in here has a story like the one I just told. But it's not a story from the past. It's one that you are, it could be from the past, but it's likely one you're living in even now. Where something other than Jesus has caught your eye and has said, this will give you, give you life. Along with Jesus, fine. But you need something else. There are many students who are here today with their families back. I know your world of some sort. Temptations are all around you to say, this is going to make me happy, maybe just for a season. It's a dumpster. It's not going to give you life. Everybody that's in here is tempted to find their way to a place like that where we think that's where life exists. But it doesn't. It just doesn't. Living in Dallas, I'm convinced that people are more afraid of something than death. And it's being exposed. It's being exposed for hiding something, something that you might call a dumpster, some part of your life that you're not willing to say, hey, I'm struggling with this. And I see it all the time. We find ourselves in a place that we never imagined we could get. On the phone yesterday with a, a close friend who's really struggled, he said, I don't know how I got here. Truth is, he does. I do too. It was a sight problem. At some point, he said, this is going to make me happy. But here's how shifty the enemy is. The dumpsters that we often find ourselves in don't stink. They don't really look that bad. In fact, they're almost beautiful. That's an important statement. They have the appearance of beauty, but they're not fully of Christ. And so they seduce us. And then we find ourselves stuck. And when we're stuck, we fight hard to protect ourselves from being discovered until there is that moment when we come to the end of ourselves and we say, help, there's no way out. 
and we pray. And then guess what? We see Jesus, not face to face, not a physical encounter, but the reality of his word and his power and his presence in the form of the Holy Spirit. And he says, I forgive you. I died for you. I died for this. And there's nothing that you are hiding in that he can't forgive you for. There's nothing that you are so buried in that he can't deliver you from. It might not be something you actually have chosen to do. It just might be a condition of despair or discouragement or sadness or grief that you're in. And that can, that can really get dark. But he's there with you. I tell you that story because it is the story that we find ourselves in with an issue of sight. Every one of us are tempted to find that happiness, that peace, our identity in something else besides Jesus. And what Christ is telling us is that, hey, I'm alive. I am the way, I am the truth, and I am the life. And all who trust in me experience that life now. So many people have come today. For that, I'm so grateful. But we've all come in many ways alike. We have all fallen short of the glory of God. What did you expect to see today? Here's a better question. What do you expect to see? For all who are in Jesus, one day we are going to see him face to face. Everybody's going to see him. But for those who are in Christ Jesus, there will be this mixture of fear and joy. Fear and reverence and awe of who he is. And this exceeding joy that's going to last forever. For those who are not in Christ, they will experience the eternal separation from God that Jesus went to the cross to die for so it didn't have to happen for those who are in Christ. This morning as you are here, I just want you to take one of the most important moments of your life and ask the question, have you trusted in Jesus alone? And if you have, then you are secure in him. If you haven't, I can't give you a promise of any security. But maybe he has you here today because he wanted to show himself to you. And what I'm doing is simply this. I'm saying, he's not here. He is risen. He's reigning as our king. His presence is here. In fact, his Holy Spirit's inside me and inside every believer. Come and see. Come and see. And now I'm going and telling. I'm telling you what the word of God says about Jesus. He is who he says he is. What did you expect to see? What do you expect to see? He is everything you need.
I pray, Lord Jesus, in your name and thank you for this day that you have risen from the dead, that you rescue us from places like dumpsters where we have sought to find our happiness, our satisfaction, our identity. And Lord, if we're honest, we know that that always leads to destruction. And so we pray that you would save us and have mercy on us. And even today, you would give us a greater glimpse of that resurrection power that is available to us in Christ. And so, Lord, if there are any here this morning who don't know you, have not professed faith in you, I pray for them, that you would bring them mercy at this moment, that they might even say, Jesus, save me. And if that is you, my dear friend, please come and see me or one of the pastors. Or who, whoever brought you, perhaps they know. And Lord, for those who are already in Christ Jesus today, we praise you because you saved us by opening our eyes to see the deep need we had for you. And so we just ask that you would continue to increase this prescription for our eyes to see, that you would increase the power and you would increase the humility and that we would see we can't see you alone. Bless, O oh Lord, this day. Transform us forever, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.